Today is our mission's emphasis. Our goal for our mission's work, the fundraiser that we are involved with now, is $50,000. Of course, we'll have our meal uh, after this service today. We'll just go from here to the, the gym where uh, food is ready. So I'm leaving 1 Peter for right now and just going to talk about mission work, shallow and missions. Our work is mandated and directed and guided by the the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. He states it here in, uh, in, in one of his expressions, in one of his ways of declaring the Great Commission. He states it one way here. So first thing, when we think of missions work and local church, we are not who we ought to be unless we are keenly aware of the mandate that is upon us, the commission, commissioned to do something. And that great commission tells us that as we are going through this world, we are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in the book of Acts, first of all, we're going to be in chapter one, verses six through eight. Our work is a sure work of kingdom expansion. Let's look at it in verses uh, 6, 7, and 8. So when they'd come together, now this is the resurrected Christ in their presence before his ascension. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, the subject of the kingdom is a, is a primary focus in the scriptures. Israel has a special place in the millennial kingdom. The son of David will sit on the throne, namely Jesus Christ will sit on the throne. He will rule all of the nations and he will do it from Israel, from Jerusalem. This is in the scriptures. His disciples would have known this. They were expecting that now that he had resurrected from the dead, he would then just go ahead and establish the kingdom and and kick Rome on down the road. It was obvious in Daniel that Rome, a form of Rome, would be the final Gentile power. Very anxious. We've all, I don't know, but I've been anxious for the kingdom to come on earth. I've been anxious for the Lord Jesus to come again. My daddy was my pastor for many, many years, and one of his great themes was the resurrection from the dead and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just listened to it a lot, studied it a lot. 
And it has been, it has been a fervent desire in my heart to see the coming of the Lord and the establishment of the kingdom, the millennial kingdom on earth. Well, obviously, this has been in the hearts of believers ever since there have been believers for God to make things right and to remove sin and the way of the world out of the way, cast it off. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has set by his own authority. Now you see that has set. That's very definite. And these are times that are established that are already on God's calendar. Uh, Sometimes we say in discussion about something like the Lord tarries his coming. Let me tell you, he's coming on a specific time. He's not tarrying anything. It's the Lord and it's God's calendar. It is set. There are times and seasons that are set. Now what that means is that from the Greek text, it means there are specific epochs. There are specific points in time where things happen definitely that uh, are watershed events. And then there are seasons of time. We have been moving through time. Now I'm, I'm a dispensationalist. I believe, that, I believe that God deals with the church and the way that God deals with the church today and God's church, the people today, I believe that comes from the way that God has dealt with people uh, through the past. Not going to get into a sermon on dispensationalism, but the word dispensation is a biblical word. It means a, it means a stewardship of time is what it means. It's a word that you'll see in the Bible. Paul uses it. By the power and purpose of God, God has moved humanity through seasons of time. There was a world before the flood, for example. Then there was a world after the flood. There was a world before the Tower of Babel. Then there was a world after the Tower of Babel. And there were, there were epochs in history told to us, taught to us in the Bible that changed everything from then on until the next thing could be hundreds of years. And so God has worked all of this to his purpose and glory through the years. It's not for us to know what God has set by his own authority regarding times and seasons. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. So then Christ, this is, this is an epoch. Christ will ascend. The Holy Spirit will descend and will come upon the church. That changes everything in the world. It, 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 causes, it causes the the purpose of God to move forward now, but now through the church, through, through all people of, of, all, 
of all tribes and tongues and, and kindreds and nations. Unlike it has been, yet still with the same goal in mind, which is the ultimate establishment of the kingdom where all of God's redeemed will finally come together and we will experience this, this a, a world that Adam briefly experienced in his time where there's just no sin, there's no curse. And uh, the animals are like they're supposed to be and the plant kingdom like it's supposed to be. And people coming to worship the Lord like they're supposed to do by nations. This is coming. It's going to be established. But the gospel of this kingdom is to be preached by the church. Everywhere. Look at this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the end of the earth. So we can say, we can say uh, Somerville, uh, Morgan County, Alabama, and all the earth, everywhere. We start where we are. We start where we are. And we move from there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Same gospel, same thing. But we move out from there. And I'm so thankful that here at Shiloh, we have efforts that carry our people, those who are unctioned and moved and so gifted, that move them even to other parts of the world. We have teams that are going to be going out over the next several months to various places in the world. There are places even that uh, our, some of our groups have gone in other parts of the United States. May, may I say that the unsaved in the United States of America, and I read this, I, I didn't count them, but I read this. The unsaved in the United States of America today outnumber all of the unsaved through Central and South America. Hey, think about that. I mean, when we think of missions work, we have a mighty work all around us. We start where we are. We're very committed to it. We pray over it. Believing that God will guide us and we move outward from there to everywhere. Now this, you may, I don't know how many know this. I hope you all know it. We have a church constitution. We're required to have some kind of a thing like that on file with the state, I think. And our elders through the past few years have addendum to that which gives our vision, our philosophy, our mission statement, all of these things are in there. And you should know that. If, you, if you're a part of Shallow, you should know what these are. This is what, you're, this is what you're hooked into. And all of it is biblical, all backed by the scriptures. And the great thing that we carry in our lives is the responsibility to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ where we are and beyond that into all of the world. And that's exactly what Jesus told his disciples here just before he ascends into, into heaven. Start where you are and just trust God, you'll move out from there. You know what happens is 
the church, if you study the book of Acts, the church gets a little inward. They don't want to leave Jerusalem. The, the disciples, they don't want to leave Jerusalem. I like Jerusalem. This is where I grew up. But then they come under persecution in Jerusalem. They're forced to leave Jerusalem. They have to go to Samaria and the other parts of Judea. God, God, God gets his way. It'll happen. And thank God, here we have, we have an organized effort to go into the world as God provides resources and as God, as God uh, lays the burden upon the hearts of our people to go into the world with the gospel of Christ. And when we go, we are carrying the kingdom of the Lord with us. It's a spiritual kingdom right now. And the kingdom of God passes from our hearts, in our, within our hearts, passes from generation to generation. But until the establishment of the millennial kingdom on planet earth, when the Lord comes again in power and in glory, until then the kingdom is in our hearts. And then of course it will be made manifest in those thousand years. But now, for now, each generation carries the kingdom in his heart. And we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the king, of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a, there's coming a glorious and wonderful time where we will, where we will be together in the righteousness of the Lord. And we won't have to suffer through the evils that we're suffering through today in the world. All of that will be destroyed. It'll be put away. Finally, that kingdom gives way to the new heaven and the new earth. Nobody carries that news into this world but the church. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And now the church is armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. And it is our work. It is our mandate from Christ. It is our guidance. It is our commission to start where we are and to be armed with the gospel and to move from there in whatever direction we can. God has provided uh, this uh, privilege to us uh, here and we should be joyful that we have such a privilege here that we're in such a church that enjoy. And you know, we're, we're actively involved. I mean, we have people, those, those boxes that have been packed and sent around the world. We have people who are signing up to go on these trips. I mean, we're, we're, putting, we're putting boots to it. You know, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're going there ourselves. We're not hiring mercenaries. We're doing it ourselves. I'm so thankful for that. God blesses that. May I say God blesses that. He will bless us as long as we are keenly aware of our responsibility before him. Now, if we ever forsake that, we're in trouble. You put our light out. Our lampstand will be removed from where it is. This is what Christ said. Before you think about the establishment of the kingdom on earth, you understand that you're going to receive power unlike any other people in the world, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses. You will testify to me everywhere in the world. Now, 
um, it was to Corinth. Uh, the Lord said, you know, Paul was kind of, the Lord was sending him to a city and it was a, a pagan and kind of, a, and he'd had some, Paul had had some bad experiences. Listen, he said, I have many people in that city. I mean, those people didn't even know it. Not until Paul arrived with the gospel. But God knew it. They were his people. And this is, this is how we move forward, armed with the gospel of Christ, significantly focused on the expansion of the kingdom of our Lord. Because though these people that we reach out to, we, all of us in this generation, if the Lord doesn't come, we'll pass away. But some infinitely glorious day, we will be gathered together, all generations, from all times, and the thing that is in common, that we will have in common as the bride of Christ, is that the gospel of the kingdom was shared with us, and now in resurrection, we enjoy the benefits physically, actively, the benefits of the kingdom. So, we love the thoughts of God using us to reach those who are not just candidates, but in reality, they are citizens of the kingdom. And God uses us to carry the credentials, and then God stamps it and makes it real. All right, so next, when we go forward, we are not confused in this world about salvation. There is only one salvation. Let me give a little background here. Peter, John, they've been preaching in the name of Jesus. They're preaching in Jerusalem in the temple area. The Bible says earlier in chapter 4 of Acts that I think it says 5,000 men believed. Now that's men. That doesn't count the children and the women. So there were thousands more, I'm sure, than just that 5,000. And it was becoming distressing to the priests and to the Sadducees because the Sadducees, Sadducees didn't believe in, resur in a resurrection. And they're preaching that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and that this power of resurrection through faith in him is given to all of us. And so the priests, the captain of the temple guard, all these, all these so-called important people are disturbed and they carry their troubles to the family of the high priest, the high priestly family who, who were very powerful in Judaism, in Jerusalem, in this day. They ran everything. So this family has them arrested. And they bring them before their religious tribunal. And here's what they say. You are forbidden to preach or teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Peter responds, here it is, in uh, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That is this name of Jesus, which the tribunal has forbidden to be used by the apostles. And Peter would say, whether we do the will of God or whether we do the will of man, you 
be the judge. Now, let me tell you, they intended to punish them, but they didn't punish them. And here's why. And it says so in the, in the te- context. They didn't punish them because of the number of people who had been saved. God help us. Church, why don't we raise up and stand together against evil? If you don't like the name of Jesus, then you don't take on just one of us. You take on all of us. You think, you think that you can stop us. It's time for us to stand together. I don't care if our jobs are on the line or anything else. It's time to stand together and look the face in the world like the apostles did and say, whether we do the will of God or do the will of man, you be the judge. But we cannot help but speak and preach in this name. Can't help it. There is no other name by which salvation is given. The name of Jesus Now, in the Old Testament, the name of of chief characters represented the, the effective personality of the person. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, for example. Abraham was changed to Abraham. And then before, in certain cases, before someone was born, the Lord told the mother and the father, that you're going to call him this. This be his name. Because he would characteristically in his life reflect something of how he was named. What, what characteristic was part of his name? This is how he would reflect his ministry in the Lord. Jesus is the last name of God given in the Bible. And it means Yahweh Savior or Yahweh saves. Yahweh Savior. It is the Echeshua, Hebrew. Jesus, Greek. Jesus, English. It is his, to preach in the name of Jesus is to preach who Jesus is. It is to preach the essential character and person of Jesus Christ. All that he is, all that he's done. And if you look carefully and study it, you will see that Jesus actually replaces Yahweh as far as the name goes. Because this is Yahweh in physical presence. The Savior who saves. There is no other name. So what then is the essential character of Christ? He lived a sin. He was born of a virgin. Which means as Hebrews writes, he carried the flesh of man, but he didn't carry the blood of man. His blood was blood for sacrificing. Born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He never did that which, which, should, which shouldn't be done. Never went a place he shouldn't go. Never spoke that which he shouldn't speak. Sinless Christ. He died vicariously. When he died, he died as a substitute and not for himself. He was in the grave for three days. 
And he rose again from the grave on the third day. He has ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty. He is interceding for me and all saints. That's his job. Hebrews chapter 7. He ever lives to make intercession for us. That's that's what he's doing. He's keeping us saved. And he's coming again in power and glory. And he will demolish the evil Gentile world system. Generally wrapped up in the name Babylon at the close of the revelation. This is who we preach. He is the God of love who died for sinners. You want to be saved? Admit that you're a sinner. You want to know that you're a sinner? Read the Ten Commandments. In your heart, you'll be convicted. You'll know that you've broken commandment after commandment in your life. A sinner. And something has to be offered. Some sinless substitute has to be offered in your place. This is the Christ of God. He has redeemed his own. There is no other way for us to be saved. And we're not ashamed of that. And when we go into Somerville or or Morgan County or Alabama or the United States of America or even into the uttermost parts of the world, we never lose focus on this supreme truth. There is no other Savior but Jesus. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name. And so when we move forward in missions, we hold high the name of Jesus Christ and the world will not intimidate us in any other way. For those who came out of darkness and into light, whom God called to himself, who perhaps at one time thought that Christians were hateful and bigots because we thought ours was the only way when at last those people have come into the light, stand in the presence of God, they will rejoice, realizing that there is no greater love that we can express to this world, no greater love than to carry to them the name of Jesus We do what we do only because God allows it. We can be very foolish if we sit around and we ruminate and cogitate and organize and do all this stuff and say, we're going to do this. God must send us and he will not send us anywhere to a place where he has not already opened the door. Look at this. Revelation chapter 7. I'm sorry. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, this is what he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says, I know your deeds, Behold, I have given before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. What is the key to success? 
when we walk through those doors. They're not going to open unless God opens them. I've been, I've been part of church mission work before where groups tried their best to get into some place or one way or another and just keep bouncing off of it. Can't go. Can't get permission. Can't get up. Can't get. That's because God didn't open the door. When the door is open and we have opportunities, these people allow us to come in and when they know that we're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are open doors and they're not opened unless the Lord opens them. So if he opens them, he's already taken care of what's on the other side. Look, here's the requirement. You don't have much power. I'll make up what you need. But you're going to have to guard that word up there you have kept. Comes from a, it's a long compound, but it comes from the root tereo, which means to guard like a soldier guarding something. You have guarded my word and have not denied my name. There it is again. We go in the name of Christ. We carry salvation in the name of Christ. And we proclaim the gospel through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they hear unless someone is sent? And then the beautiful text that follows how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of the Lord. So, in faith, with opportunity, and the will to follow through, we understand that God has opened the door. And here are the prerequisites for us. Take what strength you have. It ain't much. Take what strength you have. Guard my word. And do not deny my name. Going into places where Islam is strong. Where atheism is strong. Where Catholicism is strong. Going into places that are in total denial of the truth of the word of God. But it's okay. The, the door is not opened unless God opened it. So God is up to something. Like the apostle, we say, what I do, I do for the sake of the elect. God has his people in there. I don't know who they are. But there's an open door there. And they will be discovered as God uses me to pass through that door and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lift high his name and guard his word. This is what we do. And walk in whatever power I have. And he takes care of the rest. To the glory of God. In this mission work, we also understand that God has made us a part of a work that is ongoing. It doesn't stop. It, it's been in every generation. So we're in Revelation uh, 7. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude, which no one can count. Let me stop there. Earlier in the Revelation... 144,000 sealed servants are sent out. 144,000. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. This is in the tribulation. And they go forward with the message of salvation. 
144,000. They're sealed in their foreheads so that nothing's going to happen to them. Can you imagine a world in which 144,000 Apostle Pauls start walking and preaching? What happens is when those 144,000 super evangelists cover the world, the Lord is seen on a high place and he calls that 144,000 to himself. Their work is over. He brings them back. So he just brought them back. They've just been all over the world preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He just brought them back. And here's what it says then after that. After these things, that is after the preaching of the 144,000 and the gathering to the Lord on that high place. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude is in heaven and these people are dead. They got killed because they believe in Jesus. That's all right. <laughs> Look, there's nothing wrong with dying. Death has no power over us. A great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. Palm branches were in their hands. And they, these disembodied spirits who are clothed upon somehow in an intermediate state awaiting their own resurrection cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This salvation cost them their lives. They were living in a world where they didn't take the mark of the beast and without the mark of the beast, they couldn't buy medicine, they couldn't buy groceries, they couldn't even have water hooked up to their homes. They couldn't buy anything to travel around in. They were hated by the world, starving to death, thrown in prison and finally killed for their testimony. That's why the Lord would say in this greater context, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They're going to rest now from their labors and I'm going to wipe away all their tears. Can you imagine if you lived in a time where the gospel comes upon you and you couldn't buy, you couldn't take your child to the doctor, you couldn't feed your child food, you couldn't provide water, you couldn't provide anything, even the most basic essentials of life. You couldn't do anything because you refused the mark of the beast. Watch them die. And then you die maybe a horrible death. To be suddenly appearing in the presence of the Lord clothed in white robes saying you saved us. Salvation belongs to you. That fool, the Antichrist, his pitiful puff puppet, the false prophet, and all the earth dwellers who are following him like zombies, they do not understand salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is no other salvation. Now here's my point. Someday, I think very soon, the rapture of the church will occur. 
We may have yet harder times to go through and some of us may yet still die before the rapture. But someday rapture and the first resurrection, the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of those in, in the Lord to be caught up. That will end the gospel preaching of the church. That will end. But the gospel preaching doesn't stop. There was gospel preaching before the church. Job is considered by many to have written the very first book of the Bible, chronologically. Job. Over there in about chapter, what, 19, what does he say? In all of his suffering, what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. The skin worms may destroy me, but in my flesh, I shall see God, these eyes and not another. The gospel of the Lord in what many believe was the earliest writing, goes back, what, 2500 B.C. or so? The gospel message preached to Abram, Genesis 12, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. The gospel message even to Eve and to Adam, the seed of woman will crush the head of the... This gospel message keeps going. Keeps going as long as we are in time. So here, even in the tribulation, the 144,000 preaching, teaching the gospel message. And what happens? A multitude which no one can count. After these things, the 144,000, their preaching was up. Their time was over. The Lord gathered them to himself. And then here appear all of these who die for their faith, proclaiming the salvation that belongs to our God and to the Lamb, his Christ. We are part of an ongoing process. What a privilege. What a privilege to be part of a process that goes all the way back to the fall of man and the promised seed of woman. And that message hasn't stopped and it will not stop. It cannot stop. It must not stop with us. Many churches, so-called, are turning in this contemporary world to some other agenda other than not denying the name of Christ and guarding the word of God. They have other things to do, not us. We're part of this ongoing process that even continues after the church is carried away here in the tribulation to the salvation of those whom we call tribulation saints. And the gospel that we preach to all nations is from eternity. It's an everlasting gospel. So all this stuff is happening. Right in here, verse 6. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. You see, okay, the only preaching that's left to the earth dwellers, 
The only preaching that's left of those who are still alive, and so many of them have died. The only preaching that's left, all of the preachers have been brought in, the 145, all the two witnesses, they've all been brought, brought away. And the church has been gone for nearly seven years, but the gospel is eternal and it outlives all of us. So here, there's still some left down there. I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who inhabit the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. Keeps going. The gospel of Jesus. What a privilege that we have part of this, that we are, we are so filled with the Spirit and guided by the will of God to do this. It's a great privilege and an honor to think that we would join in the same effort that this angel will join in someday. What a great thought that is for God's people. And all preaching, all prophecy, all preaching, all true preaching testifies of Jesus. Revelation chapter 19. I fell at his feet to worship him. What did I say on that one? Ha, I forgot to change my text there. Sorry about that. It's Revelation 19. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. It's an angel, John, the revelator. Don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the witness of Jesus. Worship God for the worship of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, forthtelling, preaching, proclamation. Jesus. It's not a social gospel, it's not a gospel that elevates you or me. It is a gospel, the gospel, that lifts up Jesus Christ, who if he's lifted up, has guaranteed he will draw me into himself. This is the spirit of prophecy, of preaching, the testimony, testifying to, witnessing to Jesus. Now, wherever the door is open to us, our goal is to extend the great invitation. You know, the Bible ends with an invitation. Here it is. Revelation 22 and verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. You understand this? We, we, cannot, we cannot extend a real invitation unless the spirit in us is driving us to lead that invitation. It has to be spirit energized. It has to be spirit empowered. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Akuon, the one hearing. It means having heard, perceives, receives. Pat actually thinks that there are times when she is 
speaking to me that I'm not hearing it. Yeah, I heard you. What did I say? Well, that ain't fair. <laughs> but if she has the checkbook in her hand, I'm listening. You see, proclaim the gospel will fall on some ears. Not all of them. But some of them, those who hear and receive and respond. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to receive the water of life, come without cost. Take it. Let the one who wishes Desirous, willing, wishes to be willed, phalon, desiring, or to be willed. Let him take the water of life without cost. It's free. The water of life without cost. Doesn't cost you a thing. The great, wonderful invitation. This is what we're doing. If you want to live forever, come and get a long drink. It won't cost you a thing. And it will give you eternal life. We've come in the name of Jesus to proclaim the perfect word of God. We're only here because God allowed us to be here. And we know that God will speak to some. We don't know who or how many. But that's what we're here to discover. And find out. Finally. Our success is guaranteed by none other than our Father in heaven. So here are a group of people filled with the Spirit of God, with the desire to go forth in the name of Christ, to carry the word of God and to walk through any door that is open. Success is guaranteed. Look at this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son there, the Greek word means to behold with discernment, who looks upon the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. This is the will of the Father. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. This is what missions is to us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He came into this world to save sinners. We will extend our invitation in here today. Maybe you're here without Christ, and you sense the call of God, and the time has come to move forward in faith, the faith that God gives you. 
just a moment we'll stand and while we pray, he'll sing a song of invitation for us. And as the Lord speaks to your heart, you come in obedience to his call. Father in heaven, God, bless this invitation as only you can and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Prayerfully, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you stand all over this room?